Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis, and today we're doing something a little different. As we've seen this week in the aftermath of the George Floyd killings, there is so much racial injustice in the world. And for white people, it's not always easy to know how to address it or what to do about it. Unfortunately, I think we often wind up stuck in a loop of defensiveness and discomfort, and then we just shut down rather than listening to the people who have the most skin in the game, literally their skin, black people themselves. So today we're featuring conversations I had with my niece, Cecily, and my nephew, Mario, about their experiences as young Black people in today's world. So you might be thinking, well, why your niece and nephew? Why not bring on an author or an expert? Here's our thinking. While books and documentaries and social media can be a great starting point and a place to learn, we know that in order to really change the world, these conversations need to be happening in real life with the real people in our lives. Those real, authentic, in-person conversations with people we love are where empathy start and also where people feel free to be the most honest and raw, and that's really important. So what you're listening to is literally a conversation between an aunt and her niece and an aunt and her nephew. And because I've talked about both Cecily and Mario on the show over the years, maybe they've felt a little bit like family to you too. I hope that's even more true after you hear their words. Before I jump in with Cecily's interview, I want to acknowledge there might be times that these conversations make you feel uncomfortable. They're definitely more political and raw than most of our content, though we did still keep the interviews PG rated, but mostly they're just real and they reflect the frustration and pain of two people I love whose voices deserve to be heard. Often when I dig deep, my urge to dismiss or write off another person's experiences, I realize it's because I actually feel guilty or defensive. And yeah, that's an uncomfortable feeling. But one thing I'm really trying to quell in myself is the urge to say, yeah, but when people of color and right now, particularly black people express their very real experiences and then share what they think needs to happen next, they've earned the right. And also just because I don't experience something doesn't mean other people aren't experiencing it. So for that reason, except for a coughing fit and some beginning and end banter, these interviews are unedited, including the parts where I stumble over my words as the interviewer. It's all there for us to hear, even the parts that might make us squirm. Okay, so let's start by digging into my conversation with Cecily. Cecily is 23 years old, and I had the honor of watching her be born, which actually happened one year to the day before Jacob was born. So she really grew up right alongside my older kids. And these days, Clara loves having girly shopping and sleepover dates with Cecily and can't wait for her next one. Um, She's awesome, and we love having her in the family. Okay, so here's my conversation with Cecily. 
Hi, Cecily. Thank you so much for being on the show with me. Yeah, of course. It's awesome. Uh, No problem. I'm really excited about this because I have known you literally since you were born. I saw you (laughs) get squeezed out into the world. (laughs) And you are now 23 and you're exactly a year older than Jacob. So like you really grew up right alongside my kids, which I think is cool. And um, people who listen to the Mom Hour know you. I've talked about you um, many times in the past. So you are a known person. So every, we're all friends here. But tell me about your life right now. Like, what what are you doing? You're 23. You know, what are your future goals? Just give me like a little snapshot of how you're spending your time and what you're doing. Sure. So um, right now I'm working for a, an investment company. Actually, I just started working there uh, last September. So I got in and trained at basically the perfect time before all this kind of happened because I was just getting settled um, and then basically had to take everything that I just learned and do it from home now. So um, and so I'm doing that. I uh, had just been given the opportunity to take my uh, what's called an SIE Securities Industry Essentials exam. Um, so, you know, it's it sounds intense but it's um you know just so that i can kind of just take my my career to the next step where instead of explaining life insurance i'll be explaining annuities and that kind of thing so um but it comes with a fancy license and whatnot so i'll take it i also just got a puppy so i've been uh spending some time a lot of time uh doing that so it's um just been trying to fill my fill my life with as many kind of normal things as I can. Uh, right. I just moved recently as well. So it's been basically, it's like new, 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 everything. And then also I'm trapped at home. So it's. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, you just got a puppy and it's adorable. It's so cute. Um, and I'm hoping that you, do you let people follow your Instagram? Like, are you, is it public? It's, it's private. Is it private? Um, I'll post it. I'll yeah. grab a screenshot of your puppy and put it in the show notes because I think people will want to see it. <laughs> but it's so cute. Um, okay. So, so obviously, you know, as if like COVID and all this weird quarantine stuff wasn't enough, now in the last week, we are really like things have just gone bonkers um, off the wall. And I'm, I'm curious what conversations you and your friends are having right now about what's going on because obviously the people listening to this probably are between 10 and 20 years older than you. So I think it'll be interesting to hear you and your friends. What are you talking about George Floyd? What are you talking about the protests? Like what are the conversations you're having? Yeah. Um, so it, it has been crazy. And the thing is, is it, it did kind of all blow up, um, earlier last, like I think Monday of last week, um, but what we've really been talking about is how long this has been going on as how, you know, many times we've had seen these same protests and riots. It wasn't too long ago that we were, you know, marching for Trayvon Martin and, and Philando Castile and everybody else that, I mean, this happens all the time. So while, um, yes, it, 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 this I think is happening at a, and an insane time with, you know, COVID and everything. It's it's kind of unprecedented in that we're living through a pandemic as well as <laughs> you know another huge outburst of of rage essentially. Yeah. But um, you know, really, what it what we've been talking about is how many times we've had to go through this already, 
and you know how many more times we may have to in the future until it um you know until something actually changes i think you know it's we've been kind of talking about how it's it's nice to see it seems like people are really banding together uh on a larger scale right now um but it seems so for the other side as well yeah so that's kind of been main main points it does feel disjointed depending on who you're talking to or what you're looking at. It could either look like everyone's on your side or like there's this huge, almost like ultra organized insurgency against you. And that's weird. I feel like the attention has been great, except for the parts that aren't <laughs> that aren't great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's something. So let's talk a little bit more about you and your family. Um, so. I think most people listening to the show know that I am white and so is my sister, Catherine, who is your mom. Um, but your dad is black. So you've got, you've really had both sides of the experience. Um, and growing up in a family where like you're seeing things play out kind of from both sides, but I would say you identify as a black woman. Am I correct? Um, so I'm glad you brought that up because I really think it's important to say that I am I am mixed. So while, you know, I'm more black than you, I'm not a hundred percent. So, you know, I do have experiences that white kids, you know, white people will never have, but I also, um, I just really want to make it clear that there are things that happen to, you know, my dark skinned friends that would never happen to me because of how light skinned I am. So, you know, while I do have my perspective, I, I can't, you know, speak for everybody, but I do identify as a black woman because, you know, when I'm looked at for, for jobs, for people mm. that just, you know, for strangers and, you know, anywhere I go, I'm, I would be considered black cause I'm, I'm not white. Um, so, so yeah, but I, and I do, um, sometimes feel very fortunate that I have kind of been able to see it from both sides. Um, because, it's it's really eye opening, you know, for so long I I didn't understand one side or the other. Um and now that I've grown up a little bit and and learned a lot and mm. you know, experienced a lot uh, on on both sides of my family, it really has changed my perspective and I and really push me to 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 fight harder for for black people because because I've seen both sides I I you know kind of I know the ins and outs of what it is to be like a typical white family and you know maybe a a typical black family in in you know in my socioeconomic area yeah um so that's that's kind of how it's you know, grown into me. Yeah. So, so Cecily, you live in Lansing, Michigan, which is a pretty diverse area. And I feel like the schools you've gone to have all been pretty diverse. And I also think there's a lot of mixed race families in Lansing compared to anywhere else I've ever lived. It feels like more um, there than, than many places. And then for a little while, you lived here in my little town of St. Joe, which is very white. And I remember kind of proudly referring to you um, as a justice warrior when you lived here, because there were things like 
you just couldn't let go. Like anything that seemed unjust and unfair, you really, you were like, you know, a dog with a bone about it. You just couldn't let it go. But at the same time, as a white person, I didn't really understand it. You know what I mean? There are things that I just couldn't understand. Even though like I got you on a, like on a gut level, I'd be like, I don't know what what she's talking about. I don't see it that way. Do you think that's common that there are things, we all have our own perspectives, right? Like, but there's gotta be things people listening right now as white people have never had to think about or just don't, they literally don't see it. And I'm wondering if that's something that you've experienced throughout time, not just your time here in St. Joe, but like where you almost have to like shift the focus and go, there's a different experience that you can't understand it because you're not seeing it, but that doesn't mean you can't acknowledge that it's happening. Does that question make any sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, So, and I learned a lot um, prior to me moving to St. Joe, but I learned the most while I was there because I did go from a very diverse middle school and elementary school um, and even my first year of high school, uh, you know, where I was surrounded by everybody, um, um, most of the kids, I mean, a minority of the kids were white. Mm. So then to go to St. Joe, um, you know, it was all, it's all fun and games at first. And then I started to realize slowly that I, you know, and I knew obviously immediately, I knew the, the differences, um, but I didn't know really the, 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 the depth kind of that, it was that racism was rooted mm. in St. Joe at first because I was in the 10th grade, um, you know, and so I, I got there and I was like, oh, you know, these kids are just saying these things because they don't know any better. And then I got to know more of them and I thought, oh, you know, these kids are just saying that because this is what they see on TV. And there was a lot of reflection that I had to do personally because, you know, for so much of it, I I, I mean, it took me a long time to learn that what I was being surrounded by wasn't right and it wasn't fair and I wasn't being treated like everybody else. And I was, you know, we would go places and I, I mean, I was already familiar with like the white lady with a black kid look that, you know, people give mm-hmm. when they're, you know, and it's kind of new. Um, so, and I just, but I was just kind of surrounded by it all the, the whole time. And, you know, and I didn't have the words back right. then. I, I was so fired up about it, but I was in the 10th grade and I had no idea. You know, I'm just like, you know, getting bits of small bits of information as I can piece, piece it together as I can on the Internet, because, you know, no offense to you, but there was nobody in St. Joe that could teach me about, you know, why I was feeling right. so, you know, so alone and so surrounded. Um, so and it took me a really long time, you know, even even to this day, obviously, you know, I, I never stop learning every single day I wake up and I'm learning something new that, you know, and, but so back then I had like nothing. I, there was, there was no way for me to say, like, I feel like one black person in a whole ocean of white. And, you know, at the time kids were, you know, so much worse well, with Xbox live and all that yeah. stuff coming out and rap and stuff. I mean, you know, I don't want to blame it on rap. I want to listen. I want to blame it on <laughs> you know, white kids taking the wrong message from rap and skewing it. And, you know what I mean? Making me feel horrible, essentially, until I moved back to Lansing. Almost using it as an excuse or like a way to justify mistreating you. Like I've heard that, you know, offhand comment before, like, well, if they can say it, why can't we? 
or this is their music. You know, it's like, it's kind of like I can um, call my friend what I want to, but like you can't, you know? So I, that seems so obvious to me if I'm talking about my family, like I can embrace the things about my family that are a little rough, but that doesn't mean someone gets to come up and point it out to me. And it feels like white people have a really hard time with that. Like understanding where the line is drawn, if that makes sense. No. Yeah. I, it makes complete sense. It's something that I, you know, deal with every single day is, you know, is, is, is seeing people use black culture against black people. And it's like, well, you know, people act like they love it so much. They do all these things to, to emulate it and, you know, to, and they love it and they listen to it and they'll, you know, copy the styles and do all these things. Um, but then when a black person does something either similar in real life or, you know, calls this person out, like you don't, you don't know what this, you know, you don't know what the rapper is even talking about. You're just, you're just dressing like them. You don't know what any of this is about. They start to use it against, you know, black people as a whole. And it's like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't for you in the first place, you know? (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) it's, it, it can be really hard. And that's something that I really kind of had to, I really did start to have to pick my battles um, because back then, you know, yeah, every single, every single thing I learned about, I was like, what the heck, what is this? And, and I was surrounded by it on all fronts. Um, but as I've gotten older, I see kids that, that do all this, this same stuff, copy stuff, and then, you know, try to use it against and be racist with it and use it, you know, appropriate it and that kind of thing. And I just think, well, you know, that's because I, I hate to say it's because you don't know any better because at a certain point, that's not an excuse. Um, it's really not, but it's, it's because they have just never even had it cross their mind. And so what I try to do now is I, and I don't have a lot of patience for it because I'm not a professor. I'm not a therapist and I don't know how to make <laughs> not your people job. understand something that they're not really willing. Yeah. But I do really try to, because I've had the opportunity to see both sides, you know, I, I've had an opportunity to have white family who literally just doesn't get it. You just don't know what it's like to be in my shoes or to know how offensive something is or, or you know what I mean, feel so outside, outsider-ish, um, you know, because ev- you're welcome everywhere, you know what I mean? So, and I've got, I've got a chance to see that. So when I come across somebody that, you know, is still in there like, they can do it. So why can't I phase? I try to be as patient as I can, but at the end of the day, you know, it's really up to, it it is really up to people to talk to their kids about it and, you know, or to, to learn it on their own because Mm. that's what we all have to do too. Black people even, I mean, learn it at a much more, much more accelerated rate um, to how, you know, outsider-ish they are, I suppose, in terms of America. Um, you know, they don't have to get on the internet to figure out why their parents don't like cops. You know what I mean? They don't have to do any of that kind of research. Later in life, they may have to, you know, go and look into the history of it, but they know it's right there. White people, on the other hand, you you know, may need to look into it a little a little deeper. And it's, at what point does it, it, does it fall on humans to just, you know, care about other humans because Mm. we can't there's only so much that you can say to somebody that's going to fight it anyway yeah yeah I was just thinking about you know how many people defensively push back against the term white privilege 
because they think I think that it means being privileged like someone who went to Yale and grew up in like a fancy house in the Hamptons or something is privileged. And one of the privileges that white people have is they never have to think about this if they don't want to. Like it, it really, you could just go through your whole life in a bubble and never think about it. And that's a privilege. Like there's many ways people can be privileged. Like there's tall privilege or like, I don't know, man privilege or whatever, like beautiful people privilege. But white privilege is particularly insidious because so many people have it and so few people want to even admit it exists. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, I feel like uh, I, I, I'm trying to be optimistic in all of this because there's so many ways for me to be cynical <laughs> and I'm super good at being cynical. And so I have been trying to just look for the silver lining in all this. And I'm finding that um, I think the younger generation of people, maybe, I, maybe what it is, is, you know, when public schools started to get a little more integrated. And so, you know, people just a little bit older than me, millennials and whatnot, they are, you know, they had to be around in, in more diverse environments. There are fewer and fewer communities like St. Joe where it's 98% white. You know what I yeah. mean? They're, they're still out there. They're still out there a lot, but it's getting fewer and fewer. So I feel like there are, you know, more and more people, more and more white people recognizing their white privilege because they have been around people of color, black people specifically that have the opposite of that privilege. You know what I mean? They are received, they're on the, the brunt end of it. Right. So, um, so it, it makes me a little more hopeful to see, even if, you know, even if it's like partially white guilt, as long, I don't want people to feel terrible for being born, but like acknowledging your privilege is a, is a great start. So, um, I'm, I am glad to see that that's happening. If it could just happen at a little, a little faster. <laughs> right. Well, and it doesn't cost you, it doesn't cost us anything. Like it doesn't cost me anything to just admit that like, just like having literate parents or just like being born, you know, with all my teeth in my mouth or whatever. Like, and I know those are silly little things. Those are, you know, those, those are things that give me a leg up. And just to admit that the color of my skin gives me a leg up is not so big of a thing to ask. Like it's really easy, but it also requires that you humble yourself a little bit. And I think that can be, and also not be so defensive. And I think that can be really hard when people have never had to. Um, but I, I agree. I'm glad that it seemed, I do think this incident in general is pushing things in the right direction. Unfortunately, I'm really sad that it had to be something so awful, but like, I do think Things feel a little different to me. And I, I hope that you're feeling that too, because it does feel like there's momentum um, right now that I haven't seen before. Um, to, that, to that point, I know that a lot of times when someone posts, for example, Black Lives Matter, or when someone will post about, um, like, and I'm talking social media because a lot of us just live in that world, Someone will say like, well, I mean, I was with them until things got violent. Why can't they just? And that's another thing I see a lot. Like, why can't they X, Y, Z? Why can't they, you know, ABC? And how does it feel when people who you thought maybe had your back, like you thought these were your friends or family or people who care about you respond to like you putting yourself out there with kind of this response like, that kind of feels like if I were in your shoes, it would feel like a big di diminishment of myself. So honestly, and this is, this is like my moment, moment of like cynicism because I, I feel more surprised at, at this point when white people around me have my back 
than when they say something that opposes, you know, what I stand for and, and for black equality. I feel more surprised when I see a white person, you know, going to bat for me, you know? And so, so yeah, when I see somebody that I work with or somebody that I thought was my friend, uh, you know, get on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram, whatever, and say, you know, well, if they could just blah, 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 blah. I go, well, you know, not surprised there. Hmm. It makes, it makes sense because at, you know, I can't, I don't like to generalize um, all the time because, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I, I don't like that white people do to black people. Um, however, I can say when they make statements like that, I can say, okay, well, you know, I'll think back on a couple instances where that may, that makes sense now that they said that, or, you know, I met their parents and yup, it, it makes sense that they would feel that way. Um, and so it's unfortunate, but it's not surprising and it doesn't hurt my feelings anymore. It just is something that I have had to learn to move on from, which is something that I think a lot of, um, a lot of people have to do, especially, I mean, yeah, black people that have white friends or, you know, have mixed cousins, whatever it may be, you know, even, and the thing is, is that even now we've, we've, we're so deep, I feel like into, um, been so deeply in, ingrained America's like ideals and, and things that there are a lot of black people even out there that that would agree that say well why are you why are you doing all of this it's not even that big of a deal it didn't even happen in our city it it's not like this is happening to you and it's and it's kind of sad in that regard because it's like it, it these are your people you know what I mean this this your this is somebody it could have been you um so yeah at this point. I just feel like I, I'm not, I'm just not surprised. I'm not let down. I'm not disappointed. I'm just, you know, it's the way yeah. she goes. It's, 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 it, I can't be surprised anymore, especially with, you know, our president being who he is and, and everything. It's like people feel so comfortable now that every single day when I see new stuff or people that I thought I was friends with coming out with these, you know, these beliefs and these thoughts and ideas, I think, well, this, that's, that's the way it is right now. And I just have to make friends and, and cooperate with the right kind of people and, yeah. you know, block, delete, unfriend, boop, boop, boop. Bye. Yeah. Well, and it's sad because it, it's like we're all, we're fighting over this pie or something. And then once just your comment about, even black people that, you know, maybe once they feel like they're getting a, a piece of the pie, they don't want to like jeopardize it. You know, like if maybe if they've kind of moved up in the world or they see themselves like fitting in in a certain way, it's like everyone, nobody wants to, um, and nobody is the wrong word, but a lot of times I think this fear of acknowledging what's really happening is not wanting to give up whatever your little shred of what you've got is, and that's really sad. It shouldn't be that way. No. Yeah, I definitely agree. But, and you know, this is something that especially black women have seen time and time and time again, um, with, you know, any, any movement or anything, any rights fight that we, that there is, um, you know, black women have especially like really, really gone to bat for people or had a fight with someone, you know, with the, mm. with the suffragettes and everything. There was, there was a lot of, there's supposed to be a lot of cooperation. And then 
kind of just got left in the in the in the dust. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We kind of they moved forward and they were able to move on and get their little space, you know, in society. And black people were were left behind. (laughs) So it's just. Yeah, it it can be discouraging. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One thing I was thinking of is this week, there's just, you know, already because it's the Internet and people can't help themselves. But there's a lot of almost infighting within groups about what's the right thing to say. You know, should white people just be quiet? Should they say, you know, should they just try to say something even if they get it wrong? Should they ask their black friends for help? Should they not? Like there's just all these questions going around. And I think a lot of um, white people freeze because they don't want to be criticized. And I have been there before many times. And I think where I'm trying to get to is like, maybe I can give up the right to not be uncomfortable for a little bit. (laughs) Like maybe I can screw up and that's okay. It's better than not doing anything or avoiding because I have to be, I have to say the perfect right thing. Like maybe part of the privilege that I need to acknowledge is that right now, I think there's something I can do that's the right thing. And maybe there's not exactly the right thing. And so not to make it about me, but just, I think that that conversation is happening. And I'm wondering if you would, what you would say to someone who wants to be an ally and is just afraid, like if they post something, maybe someone's going to yell at them. Like, is it kind of suck it up buttercup? Like, you know, like deal, that's very small to deal with compared to what black people are dealing with. Um, that's hard to sometimes really to really accept that you if you put yourself out there you're going to be criticized regardless yeah so I mean and it's it's a fair question because I've been on that side of it myself you know I I am I'm bisexual but there are so many parts of the queer spectrum that I you know I'm not a part of but want to want to be an ally for so I definitely know what it's like to wonder to have questions but not know exactly how to say it so um and and another reason i'd like to use the the white half of me to kind of be more understanding for you know my my white friends because it can be really kind of it can be difficult to maneuver um a lot of it i will i'm not gonna lie is is suck it up buttercup don't if you think it's an insensitive question don't put it on twitter if you think that you know what i mean you, you have to know your audience and you really have to know you and the safest thing to do is something that I feel like some white people, you know, they liked as much as they like to tout, oh, I have a black friend, this, that, and the third. You know, if you really did, if you really had a black friend, you would know that something like this is not okay, or you would know what is and isn't okay because you would feel comfortable doing it around them or saying it around them, and they, you know, would probably feel a little more comfortable correcting you. So it's kind of like, um, you know, if you, if you go somewhere or I mean, if you have a black friend that you feel comfortable with, it feels kind of silly to say, um, but you just you have to make yourself vulnerable and, you know, you have to make it know that you're not trying to offend any anyone that it's a genuine question coming from a genuine place, um, because what a lot of black people deal with is having trolls ask all these questions, firing all this stuff at them in a, yeah. in a really, you know, aggressive way that's meant to throw them off or make, you know, get into a fight or, you know, be basically just be a jerk and, um, you know, to be racist. So, you know, if you're really genuinely trying to be an ally, first, first of all, probably Google it. And if you still can't get a straightforward answer or just are afraid to like put it into the search engine, you know, cause it sounds racist when you type it out, maybe try to reword a different way and then ask one of your friends. Um, 
but because like I said, really it's, um, it's, it's not on every single individual black person to, to teach a white person how to, you know, treat us like equals. And it's not that simple, obviously it's not that black and white, no pun intended, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's, (laughs) it's just about how much do you care to find out? How much work are you willing to put in to to be anti-racist? Because at this point, that's what we have to fight. So, you know, if it's, but yeah, if it's coming from a genuine place and, you know, you're not posing it in a way that sounds, that's going to come across as super offensive, then a lot of people will be understanding or your friend or you know, and if they say, hey, no, man, I don't I don't know anything about that. And don't ask me. Then, you know, you got you to try some other some other angles or, you know, start, try someone else or, you know, look in, look into it um, because because we've just, you know, black people for a long time have been fighting, fighting a, a good fight. So. You know, it, it can be frustrating for a white person to go, well, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't right. I don't know how to help. And it's like, well, I, you know, we, we figured it out. We had to figure it out. Right. So. Well, and I think you make a good point um, that it helps to have real black friends and not just like token acquaintances that you, you know, kind of tote around as your like as your, you know, friends that you present out as friends, but aren't close enough with you that you could actually ask the question. I mean, that's also a big part of it, right? Like no one wants random people. They maybe met once or like no on Facebook, but never talked to you to be like badgering them with questions that they could have figured out by Googling. Yeah, it's, it, it can be super frustrating and to, especially to have been at one point, like, especially when I was living in St. Joe, I was, you know, that I was that friend for a while that, you know, someone would run to, well, I have a black friend that says blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I quickly realized, I was like, girl, you're not even right. You're, I don't (laughs) even agree with that. Like, this is not, this is not right. I don't want to be represented this way as like the one black person that, you know, in an 80 mile radius, this is not cool. (laughs) So, um, you know, it, it's really important to have genuine relationships with people of other experiences because that's how you get white supremacists and, and white nationalists is because they've only been around their, their same old kin for, for so, so, so long that that's all they want to see. And that's all they want to do. And the more that you can expand and again, get to know other people, you know, the, the less scary it is to, to find out about each other. Mm. And so, you know, I think that's that's a really big a big thing. But I think white people have to understand that it's not going to be immediate, and and not every black person is going to trust a white person offhand because of what we've dealt with for so long. A lot of times, um, you know, even even white friends or white family that you have that you feel close to can can be can use you as a token, and it and it really right. sucks. But it's really kind of hard to after so long of not quite knowing or, or getting close to a white person. And then you guys have a couple drinks together and all of a sudden they're telling you about, they're telling you all, all these black jokes that they thought were so funny, but we're afraid to tell until uh. you guys got closer. You know what I mean? It's, and that happened to me. That's happened to me so, so, so many times. Um, and that's sometimes all it takes is, is get 
you know, a beer in you and all of a sudden you're, you're Mr. Standup and got yeah. all these jokes and stuff. And really you're, you're talking about me. You're talking about my family and it's not funny. And just because we were friends before doesn't mean that I'm okay with this. And it's, it's really unfortunate. So I just hope that, you know what I mean? If, if white people are genuine about their allyship, they can be patient and understand that it's not about them. It's about, you know, being able to have that, being able to have some trust and, you know, knowing that it's genuine. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and that sucks. Um, well, last question for you, Seth. What conversations do you wish that moms now, because you know, um, by the time someone gets to be even your age, even twenty three, is with as young as you are, the the mindsets that people get kind of stuck in, or the ignorance, really is is much more difficult to start digging out of the, the older you get. So what conversations do you wish that moms, especially white moms, um, would be having with their kids right now? Like, what do you want them to be thinking about? Um, well, that, that kids start picking out their friends and, you know, their, their cohorts by race early. It starts early. Who they see when they're little, it affects them. So you know, if they, I see these videos of, you know, these little white girls getting little black baby dolls and they're calling them ugly and throwing them and, you know, it's, it's okay to draw over them and stuff. It starts so young. So really, um, I want, I would, I would like for them to think about what, first of all, what their kids are doing online, because while I don't believe in like, you know, fascist parenting, there's so, there's so many deep, dark caverns on the internet and it's so easy for white kids to get caught up in these, you know, racist, like, just traps of nonsense on the internet, even on YouTube, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. These influencers that are emulating black people, but when it comes time, they're saying the N-word or doing, you know what I mean? Doing Mm -hmm. all this terrible stuff. It, and, you know, there's no way to keep, I mean, obviously there's a way to keep kids off the internet, but it's going to be hard. So, you know, just making sure that they're not getting a a crazy influx of someone that's probably a racist, um, as well as, you know, not, I, I I don't want to, you know, scare children or anything or, you know, teach, make little white kids feel bad for being white, but, you know, just having black people around in your life. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It really, I think that would solve a lot of problems is that if, and, and it doesn't always work because, you know, even as we've seen in our own family that just because having a black presence doesn't mean that they're not going to be susceptible to wild and harmful racist ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it, I think it opens up the dialogue and the older the kids get, the more you get to learn about them. And if you see your kid going down a path of some, you know, some not so nice ideas, actually talk to them, tell them if they're old enough to, to dislike black people, they're old enough to know why they feel that way. They're old enough to know that, that black people are treated very differently in this country because Little, little black kids have to learn it very early themselves. So it, you know, they, a lot of black parents have to tell their, their black kids like, Hey, if you get, if you run into the police or if they run into you, be quiet, cooperate, don't say anything, be careful, be safe. 
so at, at a certain point, you know what I mean? White kids are going to have to be able to toughen up maybe a little bit and have that conversation as well, because it is happening. It, and, and the more we see stuff on social media, the more likely it is that your, your young kid is going to see videos of people, of black people getting murdered on the street. Mm. They're going to have to have that conversation anyway. Right. So <laughs> might as well be at the front end of it and say, hey, this is wrong. When you see these things, when you see people saying these hateful things about people, about black people, about, you know, Middle Eastern people, about Latino people, about Asian people, it's not okay. And you shouldn't be a part of it because they are humans too. Mm -hmm. So getting a jump on it. And I think staying consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you make a really good point that we, like white people don't get a pass to not talk about the stuff just because we can kind of skate. Like we don't get a pass. Um. And we've had we've given ourselves passes for too long. Um, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, like you said, you know, that you're even with your little moment of cynicism that maybe maybe this next generation will turn things around or maybe there will finally be enough of a, a spotlight. Um, I don't know, Cecily, I'm hoping. So thank you for so much for coming on today um, and enjoy your new job and your puppy. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was fun to do. And I'm glad that I got a chance to talk about it because it's it's been stewing and bubbling inside me. And my Twitter followers are probably like done with you already. <laughs> get a life. So, uh, um, yes. Yeah, so. so you got a brand new audience now. You got a brand new so audience. Nice. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Well, thanks, yep. Cecily. Yeah, no problem. Have a stay safe. Thank you so much, Cecily, for that great discussion. And I don't know about all of you, but I kind of think she should run for office. What do you think? Okay, on to my conversation with Mario. Mario is 29, and as the oldest of 16 cousins, he's been a consistently awesome role model for his younger siblings, my kids, and my two brothers' kids. Like Cecily, Mario actually lived with us for a while, and we all missed him a ton when he moved back to his hometown. I hope you'll listen closely, not just to Mario's words, but also the emotion in his voice, because honestly, it really struck me and gave so much weight to his experiences and why he feels the way he does about things that, honestly, I've had the privilege of not having to give much thought to. All right, here's my interview with Mario. Hi, Mario. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, sure. No problem. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Of course. This is exciting because you are my oldest nephew. Um, mm -hmm. I was only 13 when you were born. Can you believe that? It's insane. It is insane. <laughs> it is insane. Um, so not only have my, did my kids kind of like grow up, you know, not right alongside you because you're considerably older than them, but like you've just been part of my life for a long time. I used to make you come into my bedroom when I was a little kid and I would choreograph musicals with you. When you were like three years old, you would be my little, like I'd put you in and make you do all the chore like the choreography mm -hmm. and make you stand and be like one of the Von Trapp children and stuff. So for the record, I have no memory of this whatsoever. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, if you did, it would be awesome. <laughs> So Mario, tell me a little about your life right now. Like what you're like, telling me about your job and what's going on in your life. Um, you're 29, like kind of mm -hmm. what phase of life you're in. Just give us a little snapshot of that. So I am, like you said, I'm 29. I um, have my bachelor's degree. I've been a working professional, I guess, for, I don't know, going on three years now about. Um, wrapped up school a little late. Um, um, I own a house. I just bought a puppy. 
Um, so I'm kind of in like a very, I'm not, for the first time, I feel very stable. You look, you're Single. a little basic. Is that what you're getting? Um, yeah, I'm a little, I'm, I'm stable, I okay. guess. Like I'm not worried about paying my bills and such anymore. Right. Like I'm, I feel like I'm in a good place. Cool. And you, before that, um, you took a bit of a, you know, circular route to get to this stable place, but you, you mm -hmm. for a little while were a mixed martial arts, um, fighter and yeah. you went to school for a bit and then another little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. And you mm -hmm. kind of, you changed yeah. your major from Japanese studies to like, what did you end up with? IT? Is that what you ended up in? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Information security and intelligence. Oh. So I took a big, I know it sounds so fancy, uh, <laughs> took a big roundabout way. That's it's just typical for our family, I feel like, to kind of go make your own road. Yeah, it um, is. It is. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of the path. Went yeah. a year at Michigan State, fought for a few years, doing MMA, took some time, and then moved down there with uh, you guys to get my associates and then to get my bachelor's. So. So I think it's really interesting. So I just talked to Cecily, your little mm -hmm. sister, and um, not only do you both have new puppies, which I think is interesting, must be a family thing, um, mm -hmm. but you both spent time in St. Joe, which I just think is really interesting. Like, I mean, it gives you guys a totally different perspective. So you both grew up in Lansing and have lived in Lansing almost your whole lives, mm -hmm. but you both spent time in this kind of weird place that I live in. And in case um, people aren't familiar, which I'm sure most people aren't, St. Joe, that Cecily and I talked about this, is about 98% white. But Benton Harbor, the, you know, adjourning, like literally separated by a Three river yeah. and a bridge um, and a very foreboding courthouse, um, is, I, I think it's actually the same percentage. I actually think it's 93% white and 93% black. Like one is 93% black and one's 93% white. And so you lived in St. Joe with us, but you worked in Benton Harbor um, and mm -hmm. you went to school in Benton Harbor, but the school kind of brings kids in from everywhere and young people in from everywhere. So right. just tell me about that experience. Cause I know Cecily had a very different experience living here. And, and she said it was in a lot of ways eye-opening because Lansing is so diverse. Um, what was your experience like here? Was there anything that really surprised you about what it was like to live someplace that was so, was just so like, um, segregated really and so extreme one way or the other right um that's interesting I I don't know if I would say I was like super shocked only because I had went to like Michigan State and lived in East Lansing for a few years oh right um and although if you go to you know freshman orientation at, at MSU they'll say this is one of the most diverse places you'll ever be in your entire life and you know, they go on and on and on about it, but really, like, it's a bunch of white kids hanging out with a bunch of white kids. It's some Chinese kids hanging out with Chinese kids, and then black and brown kids hanging out with each other, like, but and obviously at the lowest amount. Um, so when I got to St. Joe, um, I don't know if I knew what to expect. I knew it was going to be, I knew, you know, it was a small town. I hadn't, like, really hung out with people in St. Joe, but just from like um, my first few months there, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is pretty white. <laughs> and actually one of my, one of my high school teachers, I told him that I was moving to St. Joe and he was like, but Mario, like they don't like black people in St. Joe, <laughs> like, like right out of the gate. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I was like as shocked as she might've been to see 
the you know segregation. Mm-hmm. I guess what what did shock me was when I started my internship down there, um, to hear some of the opinions of people in Benton Harbor from the the workers there. Um, you know where the organization that I was working at. I don't want to like throw anybody under the bus. Um, so I'm trying to try to leave we'll that out. We'll just keep out, that but, on the DL. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I was shocked by that, I guess. And that is kind of when things started really to take a turn for me was not so much when I moved there. I was like, oh yeah, a bunch of white people in a white area, you know, rich, well-off white area, a bunch of black people in so you know, in a poorer area. Um, but the opinions of the people who are supposed to be helping a lot of these people in Benton Harbor, um, were, was off-putting, right. I would say. And that was when I kind of started to notice, um, more of a shift that I, you know, that I was kind of shocked about. So it wasn't necessarily the black people living in Benton Harbor, whose opinions were surprising or shocking to you. It was the people working for an organization that was supposed to be serving. Right. Right. Okay. Got it. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I just, and not to, you know, focus too long on the weird place that I live, because I will fully acknowledge this is maybe the weirdest place I've ever lived. But I just think it's interesting in this perspective, because I think one of the things that Cecily and I talked a lot about, and I'm sure you would agree, is that when people live in a bubble, they don't know they're in a bubble and they don't have to know they're in a bubble, right? There's nothing forcing Mm -hmm. them to realize it. And then you have something like right now what's happening, what happened to George Floyd and what's happening um, in the last week since with the protests and and the violence that's come out of that and all those things. And it's like people are being forced now to recognize Mm -hmm. it. And you feel like you can feel the discomfort. I think, but that's the thing though, is that um, I think people have been forced to look at it multiple times. Right. So, um, you know, when we look at like Trayvon Martin or we look at, um, the kid's name escapes, Tamir Rice, mm-hmm. when we look at, um, you know, Eric Garner, when we look at, um, you know, who was that other kid? There's so many ways, yes. Philando Castile, like all yeah. these people, like America has been, especially the last decade, has been forced to look at this time and time and time and time again, right? Um, they've just been able to ignore it because it's never blown up this big. Right. It's never had this big of an impact. Um, it's always been something they could push off to the side. It's always been something that, you know, will fade off into the distance and whatever. Um, but because of, I think, a lot of things, because of COVID, because of, um, you know, kind of back-to-back, you have Ahmaud Arbery, who we find out about, you know, his court case or his, his murder was in February, and we just found out about it. We have this Amy Cooper lady who mm. threatened a black man to call the cops on him for telling her to put a dog on a leash. And that happened um, like a day or two before, right? Like it was right like before. Right before. Yeah. Right. And it was, and that was so charged. Like she had, she knew exactly what she was doing. And that's what made it so discomforting, right? Is that she looked at that dude and said, like essentially it was like, leave me alone or I'm going to call the cops on you and tell them that a black man is threatening my life. And like when she said it, you were like, oh, yeah, you know that if you call the cops, this man could die. Like Mm -hmm. him telling you to put your dog on a leash is worth him being dead for. Right. Um, So like that happened. And then, you know, all the stuff with George Floyd came out. And so like I think all of this kind of bubbled up to the point where like it had no choice 
there was no other option. Like it was going to blow up. It was going to get huge. And when the result was the same and we saw that video come out and that cop got put on leave, you know, and then he got fired a few days later. And then, you know, a few days later, they're like, okay, I guess we, you know, I guess we'll erase just him. And then, you know, it wasn't until today that they've arrested the three other cops. Oh, I didn't even know they had done that because I haven't really been online today. Okay, so I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. they arrested those three other cops finally and elevated his, I want to say, at least from what I saw, they, they put him up to like first degree murder. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, which is good, but it's, it's so late now. Right. Like, right. They had like, they let it sit there and, you know, right. and, the, and one thing um, that I was thinking about yesterday is like, everyone knows there are bad rogue people out there. And I guess you expect it to happen sometimes. But the fact that then three other people would just sit there and watch it happen, like three other professionals mm-hmm. that are supposed to be protecting and serving. So like it, one of them might've been doing it, but the other three are just as complicit. And also it's, it's even worse because, you know, you can't say all four of them are insane and all four of them, right. you know, or just like, right. like have some kind of weird adrenaline problem or something like mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. yeah. And I think that they're like, you're right. It was the Amy. Um, it was the Amy Cooper. I get keep getting confused because she and this guy had the same last name. Um, I think it was mm-hmm. Cooper. And then that happened. And then right after that, it was George Floyd. And then the wait. And then the fact that the other three, like nothing happened. And the fact that right. you can tell they're just sitting there. It's so disturbing. And I think you're right that it blew up. There still probably are plenty of people who would have preferred to sweep it under the rug and not to oh, address absolutely. it at all yeah i mean all yeah absolutely so what conversations are you and your friends having about this right now um you've got a pretty diverse set of friends is everyone on the same page with you that this is awful are there people that you think have just kind of are hiding because they don't want to talk about it like what are people talking about i think um i think we're all i mean my the people that i talk to regularly are on the same page that this is awful um that you know he he was murdered cold blood in the street um i think that the the part where there starts to be some divergence is going to be you know as far as like the protests and things Mm go um like who's stirring up the riots and who why you know do people need to be burning stuff and like all that um i think that's where a lot of the the divergence starts and then you know it, it really just goes from there like how far do you feel like straying from the, the main point which is you know this man was murdered by the cops yeah um, by a system that allows cops to murder black people yeah with it. well i'm already seeing that um it, you know just in my feeds which i kind of jump on and off and then they make me really mad and then i lose a day of work so i have to get off for a little while but like there already seems to be people who are, you know, they'll, ad- they'll admit that it was terrible, but now they really want to focus on looting. Like they really like, like right. they have to just focus in on that. And then mm-hmm. are almost upset that not everybody in their feed is talking about that and like diverting. It's unfortunately I diverting the attention from what there needs to be. Like the attention should be on, I mm-hmm. guess my perspective is like, I don't need to worry about that. That's not my, you know, <laughs> I can't tell you who's looting stores. Like I'm not there. I don't know who's doing it. I've seen plenty of videos of white people doing it. Um, and there's lots of theories about who's doing it, but I think something feels dismissive to me about that when there's such a focus on like what, 
you know, black people should be doing or how black people should be reacting or protesting. And so I'm curious how that feels to you. Um, I think, I don't think that there should be a but in this conversation. So like, I don't, I don't think anybody should be saying, um, you know, what happened to him is awful, but, you know, Target didn't deserve to have their store looted. I don't think that that, I don't think there should be a but. No, that like, what happened to that man was terrible. Period. Period. Yeah. Period. Like, if you don't want to see targets looted and burned, and this kind of feeds into your second part of your question, um, then you shouldn't have threw a fit when Colin Kaepernick started to kneel. Yeah. Right? Like, then you shouldn't have been so dismissed. I've had people tell me, well, Colin Kaepernick was raised by two white people. How, you know, oppressed could he be? He's a millionaire. He still looks like me. He yeah. still gets followed around the store. He still probably gets harassed by cops. He still, he doesn't look white. He doesn't get to carry a card around that says my parents are white. So don't, so don't, you know, don't be pre- prejudicial against me. You know what I mean? Like, like that doesn't happen. So all the people who, who are so bent out of shape about Colin Kaepernick and refused to listen to his message for so long. Um, this is what, this is what you get. This yeah. is what you get. Listen, listen to when this man was telling you before when he was peacefully protesting, when he had America peacefully protesting, but instead, no, they didn't. Um, I can't, this is a, this is, I don't necessarily believe in the karma a ton, but this, there was karma. This is it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like the, there's a meme going around that says like, um, peacefully protest. No, not like that. No, not like right. that. No, not like that. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, how many mm-hmm. ways are people who are being oppressed supposed to just like keep trying it out, <laughs> getting shot down? Right. And, and, I, and I think the thing is, is, like when you when you look at that, there is no that your oppressor is never going to say this is the great this is the best way to <laughs> protest right. me. Well, right? that's what like, protest this is. The best is way to right. Highlight. Right. right. Nobody you're likes simply, it. You're pissing off the people who are oppressing you, right? right. Like, it, it's not. That's how it goes. Um, so no matter what, I mean, Martin Luther King, everyone likes to, you know, call his name and, you know, embody the spirit of, you know, MLK and yada yada. Um, did that and had fire hoses turned on him, had dogs sicked on him, had bricks thrown at his face, was arrested. What like all like churches were firebombed and I mean it's not like adults were just getting blasted with fire hoses and dogs like children were mm. like kids were so like as far as I mean you've seen that meme too where he's walking arm in arm with people down the street and it looks great yeah take a picture a half hour later right right yeah you know what I mean yeah like, so who is and and in those cases I mean you regardless of who, if you want to say that protesters are looting or not, those were cops Mm. that were blasting, that were starting those, that were, you know, inciting that violence. Those were white people inciting that violence. So throughout history at any protest that we've had, you know, to gain the rights of the American rights that everyone else has, black people have been faced with violence at every turn. Um, So now we're blowing up targets. People want to get mad about it. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing more I can say about that. I think one of the things that people like to circle back to, and I agree, like 
the very rosy looking pictures of Martin Luther King become like fetishized almost, or like they become like a really mm -hmm. easy way for someone to look like they're saying something without actually grasping what's happening. And it's easy to go to a picture that's 50 years old um, mm -hmm. and be like, oh, why can't everyone do that? Like in those days, that was, you know, like, it, like things have right. to continue to escalate if nothing happens. So 50 mm -hmm. years later, you want everyone to like play a, take a page from the same book. Like things have to be different. And, and also right. you're right that there was violence and that just doesn't get talked about in those memes. Um, I want to talk about when people will say, you know, things that sound good, but really don't mean much like racism is terrible. And what they mean is like walking up to someone in the street and calling them the N word is terrible. And they right. kind of bypass all the other ways racism plays out and how mm -hmm. racism is a thing that's just around us like air that, you know, you're breathing and mm -hmm. you don't have to get up in the morning and think, you know what? I hate black people and I want to be a racist today. That's not how it works. Like it, right. well-intentioned people um, can do racist things or perpetuate racist systems. So I'm just wondering if you would be willing to share like a couple specific ways in your life like that has played out. You're a young black man. I'm sure you've got about a thousand, um, if not more, but just like, if you have any, like something that maybe somebody wouldn't even think about that they do or, um, that they're maybe putting out there in the world and have never had to think about it. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I do have, I have, like, I have an example of when I was working at that organization in Ben Harbor. Uh, a guy who, again, you know, works with the people of Ben Harbor every day, you know, we're having a conversation about, you know, whatever. And says to me, you know, Mario, you're like, you know, he's like, you're, you're a smart guy, you're, you know, you're, you work hard, you know, you're definitely one of the good ones. And when someone says you're one of the good ones in this context, he's not talking about like a millennial or hu a human you know, he's talking about <laughs> yeah. or a human, right? You're not one of the good people in the world. You're a good black person. Um, as opposed to every other black person, you know, like I'm the exception, not the rule. And, um, like those kind of things get passed around and you're like, yeah, that's not like, you can't do it. Right. Like you can't say that to someone and then, go, you know, don't take this the wrong way. Well, of course I'm going to take it. The, like, how right. else do you want me to take it? Or take it the right Before way, you, the way it was intended. Right. 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 Yeah. Before you knew who I was, you thought I was what? exactly, mm. And based on what? Um, you know, I think that people's body language, like I don't. It's. When I walk through the world, I purposefully do things to make myself less threatening. I smile a lot, I wave, I, you know, look forward and ahead. I don't keep eye contact too long. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff to be as non-threatening as I possibly can. I move out of the way for white women and people if I have to, like, like hey, don't, don't worry about me. You know what I mean? Like I announce myself um and that's just what it is i can't necessarily get into the mind other than some like very overt um, 
examples. Well, uh, but it's like a lifetime. But of, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> but it's a lifetime of of acting. You know, like I've in my last uh, employer, I got talked to about my hair. Apparently, my hair cut was unprofessional. I'm looking around, and there are people with the Skrillex haircut with the shot, the whole side is shaved. Uh, some chicks got blue hair, um, but my like you know faded faux hawk that I get cut every two weeks is unprofessional. Um, which doesn't seem like a big deal to a lot of white people, but if you know anything about the black community, hair is a, often a, a very triggering subject because you know constantly we are being told, you know. Braids are, are unprofessional. Cornrows are unprofessional. You know, curly hair is unprofessional. Like, it's just, like, it's just a constant thing. Um, so you get that a lot. You get it a lot. And um, that's just kind of, you know, the, the world that you live on. As far as, like, as, as far as um, very noticeable times that that's happened. Um, but I think about stuff that, like kids will never have to think about. I am like petrified. I have like no criminal record, like no back, no criminal background. I don't know what weed feels like. If you put weed and a pile of leaves in my hand, I could not tell you the difference. Like, I don't know any of this stuff. I'm a very like straight edge kind of guy. Um, but I'm terrified of police. So when I drive past cops on the road, terrified. I don't do anything wrong. My all my my plates are good, like everything is fine, but I am petrified that I just have like anxiety immediately. Um, I went and picked up my dog the other day in a in a town, and I was very concerned that I was going to pull up to a house that like had a Confederate flag in the you know like on the pole, or you know this this person whoever this person was going to be was going to be aggressive towards me or they were going to go actually you know sorry you know we're not selling it we the dog's already been claimed or you know whatever because of you know the, what i look like the color of my skin um so you just i just always live with that feel i always live with it when i date women I, that comes across like how what are your parents gonna like white women what are your parents gonna say you know, how are they going to feel about this? What are your friends going to think? You know what I mean? Like, like what, how does this, how is this all going to play out? So, you know, these are just kind of some, like just very few of the things. I mean, one more example, I guess, is like schools. So I bought a house um, and, you know, as I was buying the house, people were telling me, oh, you got to live in a good school district. You got to live in a good school district. And, you know, someone I know was saying that I should go live in Grand Ledge because the schools are really good. If anybody doesn't know anything about Grand Ledge, um, Google, I think his name is Brian Metcalf, who was a superintendent or something or on the school board. And he just said some like super wild racist stuff about the George Floyd incident, actually. And um, the the school district came out and defended him, basically. it's a very white school. It's very country. I mean, anybody who's played sports in Lansing schools knows that the Grand Ledge players are dirty. They call, you know, players slurs. The parents, 
throw slurs around. Like it's not, it's not great. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'll never send my kids to school. Why would I ever send, you right. know, a black kid to a school like this? So even in that aspect, like you are limited, mm. you know, depending on like the, the trauma, the potential trauma you could have and putting your kid in a certain school. So like these are things, those are also things that I think about. Um, it just, you know, that's, it's that kind of stuff. Do you have people in your life who you feel like you would think they had your back or you would think that they understood and then you hear them say something like, well, you know, if black people would just do X, Y, and Z, this wouldn't happen. Or what do you mean? Black lives matter. All lives matter or something else like Mm -hmm. that happened. Like, what does that feel like? I think, um, I don't think it's anything that blatant necessarily. Um, because I think they know, like, you know, like, like that's not going to end say well. That. <laughs> yeah. Don't say that. Right. Like that's not going to end well for you. It's not going to end well for the relationship. It's not going to work. But I definitely have people, um, who ignore. Mm. Right. And so, you know, they, they vote for Trump because of the economy. Right. They, they, they don't, what they don't say is I'm voting for Trump for the economy and I don't care that legions of white supremacists support this man. Right. right? Like that means less to me than dollars at the end of the day. Right. And so like they say things like that to where you go, oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, gotcha. And I, I see you, mm-hmm. you know, like I see who you are. So they'll, you know, it's that kind of stuff. It's um you know it is it is like and this is this whole thing is a great example of that um you know not all police are bad well when you say that you're excusing you're excusing the system right and i'm not saying that all cops are terrible or, or all cops are evil or all cops are monsters but if you sit by as those three cops did and you watch someone get murdered in front of you you you're a bad cop and if you if you join a police department and your goal and your mission is not to like say something and speak up when this kind of stuff happens because this isn't the only time this thing is this has happened um and you witness something terrible you are a bad cop now like end of story like that's just kind of how it is if i watch somebody go punch fifth graders and I don't say anything I might as well be punching fifth graders yeah right like I mean you know what I mean? like choose whatever analogy you want but like like you are now on that level you are complicit in their actions and so I think that's where when we talk about systemic racism like that is a cornerstone because we've seen what happens when cops speak out we've you know against corruption or against bad cops or whatever and they often get thrown under the bus. They often get fired. And so what does it say to that system? Well, when you sit there and tell me not all cops are bad, like maybe not all cops are bad, but the system is awful. Well, and why, and, and why does anyone need to say that anyway? Like, that would be like you saying to me, I don't know, like I have colon cancer and I'm like, not all colons are bad. Like, I don't yeah, know. it just right. feels like, Right. Okay. Not necessary. Doesn't need to be said. <laughs> I think, I think 
you know, I, I, I had a conversation about this not too long ago, and I said, you know, you know, they said, not all cops are bad, Mario. And I said, yeah, but, you know, every, you know, even abusive husbands have good days. Right? Even abusive husbands will buy you flowers. I bet you Christmas morning is probably great, you know, but that doesn't change the fact that he beat you up 17, you know, yesterday and the day before or, you know, whatever. Like that's, and that is the situation. Yeah, there are good cops out there who do cool stuff, who put their community first and do whatever, whatever. But on the whole, on the whole, you can't say that. Yeah. You can't say that they've been looking out because if they have been, if the police departments across this country were on the straight and narrow and were good and, you know, we didn't have these problems, then you wouldn't have this reaction. You just wouldn't. And I think that it's one of those things that it doesn't right now, there's no, or maybe up till now, hopefully, and who knows how this will all shake out. There hasn't been really any incentive to change because the people in power, um, of that system, the people in control of that system benefit from it staying the way it is. So like the only really way to change it, like the only way you can't just hope that individual police officers are going to come in and change it from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Cause we've seen right. that it can't happen because they're working against the same system that everybody else is. So yeah. Um, and then that, you know, that reminds me of when people talk about when people get so upset about the, the term white privilege um, or like even just acknowledging that being white is a privilege without even using those two words together, just being like, just being white gives you a leg up. It's amazing to me, the mental gymnastics people will go through to not admit that. And I don't feel like it takes anything away from nah. me to admit that. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know. I don't, it may be, again, it's the power system. Like if you're, if you're benefiting from it, you don't want to ad admit it. <laughs> Cause then you might lose some of your, yeah. I don't know, market share. I'm not sure. I, I, uh, I am not surprised by that at all. Yeah. I'm not surprised that people, um, that people try to, like you said, play the mental gymnastics to get to the point where, you know, they have to pretend like they struggled. I mean, how many, how many, I, I mean, I went to Michigan state for a year, I lived in East Lansing for, you know, a few years. I don't know how many times I heard some kid go, you know, like I did it by myself. Like, bro, you still live at home. You're, you're not, you're graduating with no college debt. Like, you didn't do this by yourself. Right. You know, you can look across, you know, industries everywhere and have, and find very similar stories. Some kid whose dad's a lawyer and screwed up major, like big time and got away with nothing because of who his dad was like well right there you have an advantage mm -hmm. like right there something happened to you that would not have happened to a person of color necessarily in this country or is much less likely to happen to a person of color in this country. or like you pointed out even if it did happen even if you had two families right next to each other same income level same everything and one family is black and one family is white they both have the advantages of what they came from, but the white kid is still going to be at more of an advantage. Like even the advantages mm -hmm. aren't as advantageous, just like no. the struggles, like white people struggle, like people could grow up poor, legitimately Absolutely. poor and all those things, but they still have something in their back pocket. Like they still have a leg up or you could say mm -hmm. the black person has a disadvantage either way. It, mm -hmm. it works out the same. 
I think when you when you look at it, it comes. I mean, just based on that example right there, um, redlining is historically you know caused by white people to you know disenfranchise black people from getting loans, from living in good neighborhoods, and getting you know going to good schools because schools are funded by property taxes. So if you lived in a poor neighborhood, your school is going to be garbage. Um, black sounding names don't get hired as often as white sounding names for jobs and opportunities. Um, you know, like all of these factors play a role in white privilege. You know, the fact that, I mean, the fact that if, you know, Quinn got my little brother, Quinn got the cops called on him and Owen got the cops called on him. One of those kids is going to really worry if they're going to make it home. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And not only like, the the everyone in that everyone is gonna worry if Quinn makes it home. And but if, if Owen was like, yeah, cops are here, I'd be like, be cool, be respectful, you'll go home. If Quinn called and told me, Mario, the cops are here, like I'm in panic mode. Right. Yeah. And so like that is a privilege to not have to worry about that. To not have to worry about your children the same way. Um, I saw, you know, post someone said like, you know, for all the white people out there who are saying, you know, there it's this is a, too hard of a conversation for them to have with their kids, um, you know, just just know that this is a conversation you have with a black kid as soon as possible because they it's a reality. This yeah, isn't like something they don't they get to turn they don't get to turn a blind eye to the to it. Right, black right. black parents don't have the privilege of not talking to their kids about that, whereas white right. parents can let it go right. if they want to. Um, mm-hmm. So, on that note, last question: um, You don't have kids yet. I assume you will at some point, and you'll be a great dad. You'll be a great puppy dad too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're you're at the age now Definitely. where your friends are starting to have kids, or some have had kids for a while. So, I'm wondering, since it's probably the phase of life that you're thinking about right now, like what conversations do you hope? parents white parents specifically are having with their white kids like what are you hoping they're saying right now and all the time we're <sighs> uh, doing that's a tough it's big i know yeah i think um i think i like i honestly would i just think you should just let them watch okay i think i think and this is off the off off rip so i'm you know this isn't super well thought out i guess but in my opinion like from where i stand most kids can determine if something is right or if something is wrong and if you put a kid down in front of a tv and you said look at what is happening in this country right now is this frightening to you like is this is this okay most of them would say no They'd say, why, you know, unless, unless, you know, you're already a bad parent and you're like raising racist kids and you have racist ideologies that you pump into your children every day. Um, You know, it's important to understand for them to understand the issues that are afoot. Yeah. Like it's important for them to understand why this country is burning right now. Like it's important. It's, it's a big deal. And if you are not trying to educate your children on this, if you are not trying to expose your children to the injustices of minorities and people of color in this country, uh, you're, you're the problem. End of story. Like, 
this you cannot this is not one of those things that kids should discover on their own this is not like people put their kids in church to let them decide on whether they want to you know be a christian or not this is this is one of those things you need to tell your kids hey look this is what's happening this is why this is happening it's not cool it's it's not okay um so teach your kids but it's but at the same time it's hard it's hard for me to say teach your kids because of the bias and because of the dissonance that white adults have in this country to begin with so do i want do i want a white parent who says not all cops are bad to be telling their kid you know yeah this is just one bad cop not really not no, because you're, you're skimming over the issue. Do I want a white parent who says, you know, well, George Floyd, you know, he did spend, you know, a twenty, you know, counterfeit twenty dollar bill at a store right before that, you know, so had he not done that, he wouldn't be dead. Like I don't want that, right? So it's it's that's a tough question. It's 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 really hard. I know some white people who I absolutely want them to have that conversation with their kids, and then there's everybody else. <laughs> then there's the ones who are like, yeah, just don't actually. Just don't. <laughs> just don't. Just don't. Let them right? learn. A, like, let them learn at school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But not even at school, because again, yeah. at school you get you learn white history in school. Yeah. You learn about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman, and that's it. Black kids grow up and graduate from high school not knowing anything about their people nothing about african-american history you were slaves and you were a victim that's what black kids learn in america and it's not true it's just it's not true and i had to take an ap u.s history class and from one of the best teachers that i've ever had to learn anything else about black history he said we don't do black history month in this class because when black history arises on the timeline is when we talk about it and that's the only class that I've ever had that, and it's probably the only class that most kids will ever have that. You can't count on the school system for this because every school textbook is written in Texas by the same four companies, and they all decided they wanted to take the word slave out of history books. Yeah. So what do you – you? And they did it because they didn't want kids to think badly about America. Well, America has a lot of bad things to think about. You need those voices. You need to that knowledge so that you can make your own decisions and be informed. You know, the, I know a lot of people were, and I'm, this is going to blow up, but I, I know a lot of people were so mad at Colin Kaepernick for disrespecting the flag, for kneeling. You know, this is a symbol of freedom and a symbol of hope and a symbol of bravery and a symbol of this, this, that. Ask a Native American what the American flag is to them. It's a swastika. Yeah. Biological warfare was committed against the Native people of this land by people carrying the American flag. The flag is a symbol. It doesn't mean everything to the same people and to everybody. And that is the, the essence of this. The American dream for me is to have the same privileges and the same rights as a white man in this country. It just doesn't, it's not one thing across the board. 
And so this is, it's how, what do you teach kids? What do you talk to your kids about? Man, I, I have no idea. I really, like, I, I don't, I don't know. If you're a good person, tell them the truth. If you're going to be honest, tell them the truth. If you're going to lie, if you're going to hide, if you're going to play the mental gymnastics, if you're going to, if you're going to fill their heads with the same nonsense that, you know, you believe, then just shut up. Just shut up. I'd rather you be silent. Well, thank you, Mario. Um, sorry, I got kind of sorry, I got kind of jazzed up at the no, end. No, that's fine. And I think you're right. Like, why? Like, it doesn't. Yeah, you're right. So, um, well, thanks. And I want you to know that I'm listening, and that this will make a lot of people really uncomfortable. But I'm not intending to edit any of it. So. Last chance if you want it edited. But um, hey, just kidding, white, just kidding, just white kidding. People, you're all fantastic. I love every white person. And you're all doing a great job. You're all doing a fantastic job. Great. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. And I'm I'm hopeful um that maybe this is some small step in the right direction. Um, uh, but you know, I don't know either. So Love you, and um, thank you for being so honest. Yeah, no problem. Love you. Thanks for giving me a, you know, I know there are a lot of people who have said similar things probably much more eloquently than I have just now, but um, I still appreciate the, the space to speak my, speak my truth, I guess. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to these honest and real conversations with my family members. I hope they have inspired some thought or even a conversation of your own, maybe with someone in your family or someone in your community. And if they made you uncomfortable, that's okay. We're all learning and growing. And sometimes I think we actually need to be uncomfortable and jarred out of our comfort zones. I want to say I also think it's okay if we do things awkwardly or if we don't get it right all the time. The stakes of a white person speaking out and being maybe criticized or embarrassed are pretty low, but the stakes of saying nothing or refusing to think about these things are so much higher. If you check the show notes, we'll include links to resources for helping you start conversations of your own, whether they're happening on your social media platforms or at home with your kids. And just a note that if any of you listening have words of support for Cecily or Mario, you can email them to hello at themomhour.com and I will be sure to pass them on. I'm sure they would love to hear them. Okay. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with a regular episode on Tuesday. Talk to you then. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Tease Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. 
Well, you know, I am fan number one of the teas made. It's got such a cozy vibe and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines and home and family life. Just look for the teas made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes. 